everyone, this is Larry from WSTrades.com. This podcast is about trading stocks and stock options. Any information in these podcasts should not be construed as advice. It's for educational and entertainment purposes only. We are not financial advisors. Hey everybody, it's Larry and James from WSTrades.com doing our weekly update podcast. How are you doing, James? I'm doing pretty good, man. How are you? Good. All right. You want to start this thing off and go over some of the trades you had on or new trades you got into? Yeah. So had a bunch of opening trades this past week. Don't believe I had anything closing out. Well, I did have one thing close out. Um, I got assigned. So I had a position open on EWZ, which is um, a Brazilian fund. So it's kind of a fund based on the Brazilian markets. And it was a call spread, I think, or an iron condor. And they have just been on a run. I think you told me they were like four ATR or something up. So they have been just blasting off. And the expiration is June 18th. So uh, whoever was holding that call, so my short call, um, they decided to exercise So it was kind of a forced closing of the position. Um, So they assigned me and I was short 100 shares of EWZ. And then Robinhood just went in and exercised the long leg because that was in the money as well and just kind of canceled it out. So that was kind of a forced close. Um, But I didn't actually purposely go in and close any other trades, but I will go over a lot of opening trades I had on. Um, One of them was in XLP, which is Consumer Staples Select Sector Fund. That one was a call credit spread. Um, That's for the July monthlies. Um, Also, XLK, that is Technology Select Sector Fund. That one was a put spread for July uh, monthlies. Um, don't know if I played the XLP one before, but I believe I played the XLK and then VEA. I think that was a new one for me. That is a Vanguard developed markets fund or ETF. And that one I put a put, uh, put spread on for July. And then also XOP that is oil and gas exploration ETF. That one I put on a call spread on that one. And then, yeah, I had that forced closure there on EWZ. And then let me see. I'll say I got into a couple more trades here. Yeah, this was a new one for me. Let me look this up because I don't want to give the wrong description here on what this one was. KWEB. It's a China internet ETF. <laughs> How I found this thing, but I saw it and I was like, well, I already play the China large cap stuff. And I'm like, I guess that makes it a little bit more diverse because it's just, I don't know, based on China internet somehow. So that one was a put spread. I had sold on that ticker. And then let's see here. I want to say I got into a couple more. EWY was one. So that this is one. insane. 
sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but there is a freaking ETF for everything. There's <laughs> an ETF for China internet. Yeah, oh I God. just, I don't know how I found that, but I was like, all right, I'll put a trade on on that. Like, I, don't know, I don't know how the China internet markets are looking, but I'll, I'll take a stab at it. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know, some of these things I find, I'm just like, what the heck, man? But um, so EWY was another one. I think I had seen this ticker before, but I had not traded on it until this past week. And um, this one is a South Korea ETF. And then EWU, so wait, what was that? That was a EWY was a put spread. And then EWU, I believe that's a United Kingdom ETF. So that one, I think... It's a lower priced ETF. I was looking at spreads and I just didn't like the amount of credit I was getting. So I ended up doing a very tight iron condor, almost like an iron butterfly. So my short um, put was 33 and then my short call was 34. So just a dollar in between the short strikes and then it was too wide on either side. So I ended up just doing a um, two wide iron condor there and grab 60 in credit. So I felt like it was a pretty good amount of credit. Um, and then EWT, that was another one. I actually need to find a list of all these EWs because I know I've been playing EWZ a lot, which is Brazil. Um, and now I'm finding these other ones. So this one is Taiwan, EWT Taiwan. So this one I sold a call spread on and Did I really put this many trades? Oh, no, that one's canceled. I was about to say, did I really put this many freaking trades on last week? Um, here's a communications one, XLC. I want to say this is the first time I played this ticker, um, and that was a put spread. And GDXJ, I think that was the last one I had, which this one is something related to gold. Let me see here the world junior gold miners etf whatever that means i don't know if there's a <laughs> senior gold miners etf these are apparently the junior gold miners there's <laughs> all the call spread on that one so yeah i don't know how i found that one either but yeah so i put on a bunch of trades last week and tried to be um pretty diverse on it so um yeah a bunch of openers and just like the forced uh well you know what? I had one other one actually, and this was kind of a forced close as well. But I mean, it was a good, unlike the EWZ where I got assigned on the short call, this one was actually a good forced closure. And it's because I had to roll my futures contract because it's expiring. And I think everybody on Friday, or at least based on the chart I was looking at, rolled from uh, the June to the sub September futures. So I closed that one out and then I just opened the next expiration, which I want to say is September. So that was kind of a closing trade, but um, I'm still long the MNQ. So I'm still looking to get a little bit more out of the index. But um, yeah, I think that covers everything that went on last week for me. All right. Well, mine is going to be super short compared to that. <laughs> so I. I think last week I had already had my, I just went long shares of TQQQ, which is the triple leveraged um, NASDAQ uh, ETF. Uh, but yeah, they're still cooking. So like you with your futures contract, I 
I'm still feeling pretty good. I know NASDAQ is approaching, you know, that all-time high. But I was just looking at my charts while you were talking, and I didn't even know I had the futures pulled up. And um, NQ actually fired long on the weekly. So, I, I don't know, man. We might still have a little bit more of a push. I was going to close that out tomorrow morning as long as it was green just because typically when you know these indexes reach an all-time high there's a little bit of a pullback and you know it tests it several times but i don't know i might hold on to these things or put in some sort of a stop or a, a trailing stop on it um the only other trades i had on were was uh kkr and that was a, a put spread i had on that expired uh, completely out of the money, so I went max profit on that, and I got into a new trade on Apple, which is the it expires on uh, the twenty fifth, and it's the one twenty three one twenty eight uh, call debit spread. So I believe I spent uh, I want to say two hundred and eighty something dollars on it on uh, to open the spread, and just in two days I'm up like 28% or something like that. So again, if, uh, if NASDAQ hits that all time, I might consider closing out of this one early just because, you know, like we've been talking, it doesn't make sense that Apple would have to go down because, you know, the futures are going down, but they will, because that's just how stuff works. But I might take my profit since I'm up, you know, so much in such a short amount of time on that. And I know, you know, TQQQ, I've made, you know, plenty of profit off of my share, so we'll see what Monday brings. But, you know, if it hits that all-time high on Monday, I might end up closing out of these and just waiting for a slight pullback on them. But, yeah, that's all the trades I had on. Nice. Yeah, you know, that's a good point on the futures for NASDAQ because we were kind of talking about that earlier. And I know um, earlier in the year we had... The last, I think it was the last time I did a swing trade on the NASDAQ futures. I remember that I think, yeah, we hit 13. So I'm looking at it right now. We had hit like 13,600 or so, and the market sold off and it dipped into like the 12 nines or something. And I like the price. I was like, ooh, that's a 600-point pullback. I'll buy that. And I bought it. And then when they went back up and blasted through and set the new high, they went all the way up to 13900 So that was like once the all-time high happened, they went another 300 points up. So that's what I'm kind of wondering about. Uh, what you know? What is the market going to do? Hopefully, if it fires, like you're saying, if it fires on the weekly, then it's got some room to run and it'll set a much higher all-time high because after that thing kind of happened, we got like a 300-point new all-time high. Once that happened, we had that fat 17, like 1,700-point sell-off on NASDAQ futures. And when we went up to set the new high, it only made it up to just over 14,000. So that new high was only about 100, 150 points above the old high. So... I'm kind of thinking about the same thing. Like, what do I do uh, once this thing sets the new high? And I'm thinking, yeah, stop maybe 
uh, you were saying trailing stop. I think those are good ideas because if this thing's going to run for a little more, I mean, maybe NASDAQ gets up to like 14.2, on the futures. And like, I don't want to miss the move if it's going to keep pumping. Um, but I also want to get out and make sure I have, you know, at least what I set out to get on my profit target. I definitely don't want to be playing with it and like they just set a new high by like 10 points and then the massive sell-off starts and like um i definitely don't want to be caught in that situation either so i'm thinking maybe a stop and then keep an eye on it or maybe i'll do a trailing stop like you're saying yeah i think when you're approaching all-time highs i think there's a lot of potential for uh not really a short squeeze per se but you know someone that shorted it will set their their stop limit at that all-time high because they're like, okay, if it reaches this all-time high, then I'm getting out of it because I thought it was you know going to go a bunch, way lower and it just reached all-time highs. So I think there's a lot of buying to cover at that point. Uh, so I think that's probably where we saw that like 300 points last time is you know, you're reaching an all-time high and that's a perfect spot if you're a short seller to put your stop at. Cause if it goes past that, then, you know, you, you know, something's up. Yeah, that's a good point. Maybe all the bears had like that buyback order in and then it got blown up and it just pumped it another 300 points. So, um, yeah, maybe a trail stop will be good or maybe set up that stop. Cause I think the last, um, on the June contracts anyways, it looks like it touched like 14064. So if it gets above that, and maybe hits around the 14100 I might set up my stop right there like around 14050 or something like that and then just kind of keep an eye on it if that thing pumps another 100 or 200 points I'm probably going to get out and just be like all right I got a nice profit and then probably look to go short so um yeah it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens here um yeah so you you wanted to go over uh, futures today? Yeah, we've been talking about it a lot. And I know you and I have both been playing, you know, NASDAQ a lot, whether it's with the leverage stuff or the futures. So we've definitely been putting on a lot of leverage positions and stuff. And uh, just wanted to kind of talk about the futures trading and just, you know, some basic details on kind of how it works. Um, so with the futures contracts, It increases or decreases in value um, at a certain tick size. So you can't have people going out there and like putting on fractional kind of prices and stuff. Like if you're looking at NASDAQ right now, it's at 14.019.25. If it's going to move up, it's going to go up to 14.019.50. So the minimum tick size there is going to be 0.25. So that thing is going to move. Uh, at a minimum amount of like 0.25, it's gonna move in increments of 0.25. Um, so it's a little bit different versus like a stock or an ETF where somebody could go put a weird bid ask or something in there of like 0.23 or 0.21 or 0.28. So you're not gonna have those weird kind of fractional prices sometimes that you'll see with like ETFs and stocks. So futures kind of abide by that min, like that minimum or that tick size. And then they also have a value associated with each tick. So 
like if we're talking about M and Q right now, that thing has that 0.25 minimum tick size. And it's also got a value of that tick of 50 cents. So if you buy the MNQ futures right now and you go long and it moves up 0.25, you made 50 cents. If it goes down 0.25, you've lost 50 cents. So for every point um, on MNQ, you're going to make $2 essentially. So you can kind of see like you go long on one of those contracts and the thing rips up 100 points, that's worth 200 bucks. It sells off 100 points, you lost 200 bucks. So those are some of the differences um, with the futures contracts versus pricing on like a stock or an ETF. And, you know, these futures contracts are based off of these, uh, like these indexes or these financial instruments. So um, these are types of futures like the S&P 500 or the Dow or the Russell or the NASDAQ. These are based off of those indexes. They're not really stocks that you can go out and buy or ETFs. Well, I guess ETFs are kind of based on it, but like you can't go out and buy one share of the NASDAQ. You can't go out and buy one share essentially of this because it's an index. So you're just going to have like this futures contract and your broker is going to set aside or they're going to require you to have a certain amount of margin to hold this contract. Um, so, you know, if you've got enough, you know, money in your account to cover the margin, then you can hold the contract. And I think for the MNQ, which is the micro futures on the NASDAQ, I want to say the maintenance requirement is like 1600 bucks, I believe. So if you have 1600 bucks in your account, you can open one of these contracts. Um, but you know, if the thing sells off and then you go below that $1,600 amount of equity in your account, then they'll probably force close it on you. Um, but these types of futures like that are based on indexes like the NASDAQ and Dow and all that stuff, those are like financially settled because those are things, like I said, you can't go out and buy a share of essentially because they are indexes. So at the end of each trading day, I forget when they do it. It may be when things close around two o'clock Pacific time, I want to say, uh, whenever the futures take that pause for an hour. I believe that's when they do the financial settling on them. Um, so those are futures that like we've traded, um, but there are other futures out there. I won't get too deep into that stuff, but ones that actually take physical settlement. Um, so if you're trading like futures on crude oil, and you don't close out your contracts and you're agreeing to buy that, then you actually have to physically take um, the physical product, which in that case would be like oil and, you know, whatever else. There's a bunch of, like, if you look for the futures, I think you've seen it too. There's like, I want to say like cattle and corn, like all kinds of stuff out there that you can do physical settlement on. But um, yeah, yeah, the weird don't, one, don't, sweet crude oil. I don't even know what the hell that sweet. is. Are people out there like tasting it? <laughs> yeah, this is the good stuff. <laughs> now, do you remember that story uh, during? I don't remember. It was during the crash for sure, the COVID crash. But that dude that didn't really know what the hell he was doing with uh, oil futures, and you remember oil went negative. Yeah, and he bought a future contract, and 
actually had to take possession of, I don't remember how much oil each contract is worth, but it was a crap ton of oil. And what's it? I think it's like maybe a thousand barrels or something. It's a lot. Yeah. (laughs) So so he went on the internet and he's like, I don't know what to do. I, I don't have room for this. And some guy luckily, you know, needed oil or wanted the oil at that point. And, uh, he helped him out, but it's like, you know, when you're dealing with commodity futures, you need to know what you're doing because you can end up with a thousand head of cattle in your freaking front yard. Yeah, I do remember because we were talking about that. And I remember uh, you had sent me the story or something. I was looking at I'm like, oh, yeah, that would be like crazy, man. If like your contract expired and you agreed to buy it and it's like, all right, where are we shipping your thousand barrels of uh, oil to? And it's like, <laughs> oh, man, dude. And then they charge you what I was reading too. Like if you don't have a place to receive it, they like it'll be held for you somewhere, and then you'll just get charged extra because they can't. You don't have a place to receive it. So um, yeah, definitely never touched any futures based on physical settlement for sure. Um, even though it's like you can, of course, avoid that situation by just closing out your contract before expiration. But yeah, if you've got you know if you're not comfortable with it or you've never done it before like you could definitely be in a situation like that and uh it's definitely one i've never cared to take a crack at but you know if i would have known more about futures trading probably when that crash happened and then saw the oil the crude futures or whatever it was down there in the negatives i probably would have went long because i mean watch your negative yeah, where do you go from there? <laughs> yeah, how much more negative can you go, right? It's like, it's probably going to go up from here. But yeah, I mean, if we're ever in that situation again, I might take a stab at something like that. But I, yeah, I just got to be sure on uh, avoiding any kind of a physical settlement and having to receive that stuff. So, um, but yeah, I at least wanted to cover just like the basic stuff, like uh, tick size and tick value. And, uh, you know, it's a very leveraged position. Like, let's just say you had like uh, $5,000 in your brokerage account and the NASDAQ sold off to be a pretty big sell off, be like a coronavirus crash kind of a sell off. But let's just say the NASDAQ sold off 2000 points on the MNQ or the micro futures that's four grand that wipes out, you know, whatever that is, 80% of your account or something. And like, you didn't even have enough to hold that contract anymore. Um, your broker is going to close that out on you. Uh, you'll be in a margin call and you'll be done. So futures are definitely very risky for sure. Now, if you had like $50,000 in your account and you had one of these contracts, I mean, the the NASDAQ could sell off, you know, 5,000 points, you, you know, it wouldn't be a big deal. You'd be fine. So it's definitely something to keep in mind that it's very leveraged. And uh, I think we were talking about it uh, before the pod, but maybe later we can go in another episode, we can take a little bit deeper dive into futures. But um, the, I think the mini NASDAQ, the e-mini NASDAQ contracts, like right now, where the NASDAQ is trading at right now, the actual value of that contract of like the index that it's controlling is like almost 300 grand. So you can kind of see how leveraged it is and how easy it is to make or lose money. 
yeah, I, I like to think of futures as options on steroids. Like if you think, you know, buying a call on something, you know, oh, I'm leveraging up so I can, you know, make more money than just owning, you know, a share of something. Multiply that by a thousand and then you're getting into futures contracts. Yeah, exactly. And like when markets become volatile too, um, I know sometimes brokers will jack up that maintenance requirement. So you might be like, all right, I just need the 1600 or whatever to do the micros. But then the coronavirus crash happens or something, they might jack that maintenance require up and dub- and like double it. And then all of a sudden they want like 3200 for you to hold that. So it's definitely something you want to make sure you're aware of how leveraged it is and like how quickly you can blow yourself up and like make sure you have like your stops or, you know, whatever you're going to do to manage risk into there. Because, um, yeah, you can definitely end pretty badly. So. But at least that's kind of like the basic, um, you know, the basic stuff about them. And I just went really over the NASDAQ. But if you go out and Google it, you can look up S&P 500 and the Russell and the Dow and then all those other ones that settle physically. If you want to, you know, get a little more details on like what the tick sizes are, what the tick values are um, and what the contract sizes are. So, um, yeah, I thought that would be a good one to talk a little bit about because we've been talking about NASDAQ so much lately. Yeah, I think that's something important too that anyone that is going, even thinking about getting into uh, trading futures is each different um, underlying has like a different tick value, a different uh, maintenance requirement. There's like every single thing is different. Like I was looking at... um, not wild hogs or I don't remember. It was either soybeans or like hogs or something on the futures. And the tick value is completely different on everything. So before you get in anything, know, you know, exactly what you're getting into because futures are completely different from anything. You know, if you've never done it before, it it's nothing like buying a stock, like a tick, like if you're looking at a chart and you're like, Oh, well, uh, soybean futures are only down 0.1. Well, that 0.1 in that contract might be a thousand dollars. Like you need to know exactly what tick values are, exactly how the contracts are set up, expiration, all that stuff before you get into it. Because, like you said, very good point. If you're getting into futures trading, you can blow yourself up real quick. Yeah, for sure. Good point. They're all different, and like you're saying, they have different tick sizes and different tick values and just uh yeah just make sure your account can handle a crazy sell-off or make sure you got a stop in or something to get you out if things don't go your way because uh yeah you can get ugly pretty quick (laughs) thanks corona or you can be like you know one of those wsb dudes and turn your life savings into a million (laughs) dollars yeah or the other 99 percent of them and just have nothing Right, maintenance <laughs> calls, and then you don't have your brokerage account anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I and I went over it last weekend as well. I one of the things that I hate the most is the futures on indexes. It doesn't. I freaking hate it, man. Like commodity futures, completely understand. Like if I have you know a restaurant or a farm or something, and I think, man, corn's probably going to go up next year. Well, I can buy a futures contract right now and tell this dude, hey, 
for, you know, 2,000 years of corn or whatever the contract's worth. I'll pay you this much, or I'll sign this contract saying I'm going to give you this much at this point in time. Then, you know, corn goes through the roof. Well, I got a contract saying that you're going to sell me your corn for, you know, whatever the price is. That's how future started was commodity based. And then it got into these uh, indexes and the indexes make no sense to me, man. I freaking hate it. But, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, it's uh, it's just funny. Like, <laughs> in reality, I mean, I was thinking about it earlier, too, because I was like, well, what if we did talk about futures uh, in this episode? And I was just like, man, this is just all a game, like especially futures traders. I mean, you have like, I mean, you see it. The index is ticking up, ticking up, ticking up. It hits the all-time high. It sells off. Ticks up, ticks up, ticks up. Hits the all-time high. Sells off. I mean, nobody really thinks at the bottom of this because uh, you hear like, you know, technical analysis videos and people talk about it. And I've talked about it before too. But like buyer and seller psychology, right? If you look at the candles and you can be like, okay, the buyers think that this company is worth this amount of dollars or it's not worth you know this price so it's going to sell off once it hits that level i mean this is just a game to these futures traders i mean it's kind of like a game to me too it's just up and down up and down like big huge sell-off huge surge like in the case of nasdaq right it moves so much it's so volatile that i don't think people really care or even think like before it sold off last time, it was around 14,000. I don't think anybody really cared or thought like that's what it's worth. You know, it doesn't need to go any higher. It's not more, this index is not any more valuable at this point in time. Um, I just think whoever's got the money to drive the markets just decided to sell whatever. I don't know how many, 5,000, 10,000 contracts, whatever triggered the sell off. And then once that happened, everybody's just riding the wave and they're like, we're going down. So everybody jumps on the bandwagon and then it gets down to a certain point. And then whoever can push the markets and control the markets, whoever's got the big money goes in there and buys 10,000 contracts. And then everybody sees that and they're like, Oh, look at this. You know, the bulls are back and then everybody jumps on the wagon. And it's like, I mean, I, I just think this is a, a game to, you know, everybody. So, yeah, it's just like, I don't think it really has anything to do at all with, um, may, I mean, maybe loosely related to what people think this combination of companies is worth. But when you see the swings in the market, I mean, this this is a game people are doing. Like, we I think we talked about it maybe in the last episode that you've got a lot of technical traders out there and they do not care about that company. They're yep. seeing something in the chart and that's what they're trading off of. And, I mean, people are just gaming it. Yeah, that's my thing with uh index futures is there's literally like i said if you know if it was corn crude oil whatever the hell it is that's something else but when you're if you're buying or selling futures on an index it you are literally just gambling because you have no idea what you know say uh tesla comes out and they have to recall all of their vehicles because of you know some super bad failure and at the exact same time, Apple has to recall or uh, repair all of their iPhones because they could blow up in your pocket. Then the actual NASDAQ 
would eat a fat one because everyone's like, oh, God, these companies are crap. Like, these guys, everything's just going wrong with these. And the actual NASDAQ, like the sum of all of, what is NASDAQ, 100 companies? Just from Tesla and Apple eating a fat one, NASDAQ's going to die. So, you know, this futures trader, he thinks, oh, yeah, well, everything's looking really good right now. Well, you don't know, Jack. You don't know anything. <laughs> it, these companies, you know, some bad news comes out the next morning and you're done. So futures on indexes is 100% gambling. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, yeah, it's just like you're saying, the futures pump overnight. And then all of a sudden NASDAQ pumps tomorrow. And it's like, well, nothing really happened. Like, I mean, Tesla didn't come out with a new car and like, you know, Apple didn't come out with some innovation for the latest iPhone. It's like the futures traders just are, they're riding the wave up. I mean, they're buying until the next sell off. So yeah, man, it's, it's just crazy to think about it and watch it go down. Are you still holding your, um, your space shares? Yeah, I am actually. And Thankfully, they did not react much yet to the lawsuit. I think there's a class action right now. Um, there's always a class action on every <laughs> single company. Every time something pops, man, all of a sudden these lawyers come out of nowhere with, <laughs> with some kind of a lawsuit. And they're like, oh, if you invested in this company between this state and this date, contact us. So I saw that and I was like, of course, somebody's going to come out here and try to kill them. But um, yeah, I'm up like... Um, think about a hundred percent right now so yeah i was just i was just thinking about it before we started this uh i didn't even know that amazon had their little space program or whatever the hell it is Mm -hmm. but did you see uh bezos is going into quote-unquote space i don't know how far he's probably going to go like virgin galactic territory Mm -hmm. and they auctioned off the seat next to him for like almost 30 million dollars wow yeah so I think this space stuff mm-hmm. is weirdly going to pop. Like, mm-hmm. you know, guys like us aren't going to be able to ride their special spaceships, but there's apparently plenty of rich enough people that can. So it seems like, you know, with space having their successful flight and then, um, God, I don't even remember the company, the Amazon, the blue something. Oh, I've heard about it, but yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, and I guarantee Tesla, you know, they're making rockets. They might as well send people around the moon or whatever they're going to do. So, <laughs> I'm sure Musk will be shortly behind, right? Yeah, you're right. $28 million to sit next to him. Blue Origin, I guess, is what it's called. Um, man, too bad they couldn't have paid $28 million to sit next to Brett. <laughs> I mean, that would have been good for the stock, but unfortunately. Uh... <laughs> well, I heard some story that he's going to try and get in the ship and get up there first because like apparently yeah. uh branson or not branson um what's the amazon dude bezos yeah bezos is going to be the first like civilian person up there and branson's getting a little pissy about it so he's like nah send me up in my ship yeah because i heard like and i didn't even know about this other thing but yeah i was reading the stories about uh space and like they wanted to go up and maybe do like one more test or something and then send Branson up. And then after that, they were going to start sending people. So, um, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. And hopefully, 
you know, whatever remaining tests. And of course, when Branson goes up there, fingers crossed, man, <laughs> nothing bad happens. <laughs> so if it does, my 100% gain is going to disappear pretty quick. It's going to be 100% loss real fast. Right. Space to zero. <laughs> um, did you have anything in particular you were looking at maybe getting into this coming week? Yeah, I got a couple things I pulled up. Um, two bearish things I'm looking at is Zillow. And another one that I'm probably not going to play because I didn't last time, uh, during the COVID crash. And once every government was like, Hey, we're going to start printing money. Like it's nothing. I thought, okay, on all of my charts or, um, all of my scanners I have, like gold was popping up as bearish. And I'm like, there is 0% chance gold is bearish right now. How is gold going to go down when every government in the world is just printing money and inflation is going to go through the roof? And sure is, sure enough, gold just ate a fat one. And right now, SLV is popping up as a bearish uh, ticker for me. Pull it up real quick. Yeah, that's interesting because maybe after gold died, maybe they ticked up a little bit because like GLD burned me on a call spread, I want to say last month. And they're looking, yeah, was it last month? I think it was maybe. And then they're looking to burn me again, but they are out of the money right now on me by like a little bit. But I want to say they had like maybe a little bit of a surge at some point. But um, let's see. Yeah, it's like gold during the whole, you know, everyone saying they're going to print money. Gold started dying. And then all of a sudden, gold just started ripping for no reason. Yeah, so it did. Yeah, I'm looking at that. It was GLD was down like in the 150s. It touched down there a few. And then, yeah, it's cooking since then. And now, yeah, I got burned on a call on the call side. I think of my iron condor and they're looking to burn me again. So I hope they chill out uh, this coming week a little bit. Yeah. And I got two bullish tickers that I pulled up. One is XLU. And I don't know what ETF that is. You got XLU as a bullish. Cause I know I have trades on them right now. Let me see what those are doing. They're probably burning me on the call side. Let me see. So XLU, I do have, oh, okay. So that's max profit for me for June. So this Friday I'm going max, but let me see if I have a July on and what is happening to that. Oh yeah. So for July, yep. I'm in the money on that one <laughs> already. Yeah. I don't know how, uh, it kind of broke above a trend line that they had like a longer term trend line doesn't seem like they're making a massive move up but i could see them you know definitely making a move to around uh that two atr level which is about 66 70 i don't know what your strikes are at my short is 66 and my long is 68 so that's not too far past my short no and the other one that i'm not gonna play my last ticker is kkr so they showed, yeah, they showed up on my bullish, uh, <clears throat> one of my bullish watch lists, mm-hmm. and I'm not touching them after, you know, I went max profit on them, which is mm-hmm. cool, but every, I mean, I remember texting you almost every day, it's, the options are so illiquid, 
you know, my account would show that I'm down 30% in one day because these guys are pricing the options so ridiculously. And then, you know, I look at my account, you know, pull it up on my phone and it shows that I'm down like 20% in a day. I'm like, what the hell's going on? And I look and I'm like, oh, it's just KKR. You know, these idiots <laughs> are saying the options are priced stupidly. Your broker is like putting you into a maintenance call because <laughs> they're like, oh, you're down 80%. Like, what? What's going on here? Yeah, uh, I was telling you, I would have, I would have been really pissed. When so they expired completely out of the money, I went max profit on it, but it was only I think two dollars out of the money. Mm-hmm. And you remember, um, with Walmart and Dow, TD yeah. screwed me, Penrith. With, yeah, with buying uh, my <laughs> contracts back after hours at whatever someone prices it at. So right. I was like, dude, if and on Friday they priced it at, I think I it was mathematically was impossible. Like I, it was at a uh, $70 loss or something like that on a 50 cent wide spread. And I was so certain that I was going to have to call TD and tell him I'm pulling my money <laughs> out of your, Dude. out of your account. I'm going somewhere else. Right. But luckily they didn't buy it back. Yeah, that's good, man. That's crazy. Yeah. I was looking at their chart and they had it. They've been, they ripped since like late January. It's just been a fat uptrend. And then, yeah, since like early May, they've been like straight sideways for the most part. But they just busted above the 21 uh, EMA. So, yeah, they are looking pretty bullish. But I do also know that we could be seeing a big market sell off <laughs> any day now. So, I'm sure whenever the NASDAQ decides to dump 2 to 3% in one day, uh, KKR is probably going to follow. Yeah, that's why I'm going to kind of focus on beta waiting my trades for next week. Mm-hmm. Is because like this week I have all bullish plays. Like everything that I have right now has to go up mm-hmm. for me to make money. And that is super dangerous when, you know, things start correcting, which they probably will any day now with all the you know, indexes at all time highs. So I definitely need to <laughs> check out my freaking beta waiting, get in some bearish plays. Yeah. You know what I started doing for, I think July, I was just thinking about it and I'm like, man, I love to do the iron condor, but on the iron condor, I'm playing both sides of the market. So I know it's very rare for a market collapse. They typically only happen, you know, once every 10 years, 15 years, whatever. Um, I guess there was about, what, 12 years in between the 08 bust and uh, the Corona bust. But I was thinking about it. I'm like, well, I could just keep doing these iron condors or I could just play one side of the market on each ticker just in case. I mean, I know we may not have. Well, I mean, nobody really knows, but hopefully we don't have like another market collapse for another 10 years, hopefully. But, I mean, if something happens and I've got iron condors open on everything, I'm going to go max loss on every single trade, you know, once, let's say, the market start to sell off. So what I started doing for July was um, sell a put spread on one thing, sell a call spread on another thing, and just alternate. Because if, you know, when the next collapse does happen, I'm only going to get burned on the put side and all of those other trades I had on on the call side are all going to go max profit. So that's definitely something I was thinking about and started to do because it's like I'm going to grab the same 
high probability, you know, similar amount of credit, whatever, if I just stay on one side of the market on my neutral trade. So, um, yeah, I think I'm just going to keep on to that and for the most part, try to be, you know, diverse in that manner. So whenever the next collapse does happen, I'm not like, oh man, I lost every single trade for this month because <laughs> you know, there was a huge sell off. Yeah, it sounds like a really good idea. Yeah, for sure. Good idea to be beta weighted and definitely play both sides of the market. And like you're saying, especially when we're approaching the all time high, that's the perfect, you know, time to definitely be scared. I think Buffett had that saying, like when people are greedy, be afraid. <laughs> when people are afraid, be greedy. And with the markets at the all time highs, that is the perfect time to, you know, expect some bearish action for sure. Can't argue with that guy. Yeah, for sure. So did you have anything you were looking at? Yeah, I'm kind of done pretty much for July, I think. And man, I'm I'm having trouble finding new sectors to get into. Somehow I found that China internet thing. And then I did the Taiwan and the North or South Korea. Um, but I, I'm kind of running out of stuff to play. And... I'm, we're about 30 days out from uh, the Julys, so I think I'm going to just start transitioning into August. So I'm probably just going to hit the stuff I have been trading um, every month. So I've been making some plays on ARCG, ARKK, EEM, EFA, uh, EWH, EWJ. So those are probably some of the tickers. I'll start lining up some stuff for August this week, unless I can find some more random off-the-wall stuff um, to trade with that's got some decent volume. I'll probably just be going through my lineup again and getting stuff on for August. Nice. I, I just pulled up uh, ARKK, and I haven't mm -hmm. played them in forever, but they're actually playing off of a beautiful trend line right now to the upside because yeah, they were i went max profit on them a few months in a row and i was like cool i like you know i like these guys and then they had that massive sell-off <laughs> i got burned i think in may on the put side but then they just creeped above so my short put is like 115 and that is expiring this friday so man they're just above that right now so yeah they just cracked the 21 in the past week so yeah i'm hoping they just stay above that 115 because i was doing really good on them and then i lost last month and they just really been struggling because yeah they were way down around 100 uh mid-may so that's probably where i got burned and then they've been cooking since so um yeah man i hope they pop off uh, at least in the short term this coming week so i can do another max profit on those guys yeah, well, there is a long-term trend line that coincides perfectly with the 2ATR line right at about 116.64, like mm -hmm. almost where they're at. Mm -hmm. So I say if they can bust above that, then to the moon, or, you know. So where are you? Are you looking at the daily chart and kind of drawing a line on that chart? or? Yeah. Okay, gotcha. And the long-term trend goes from, what yeah. is this, from March 5th lows 
mm-hmm. to uh, what is this? Wait, what the hell is this? <laughs> oh yeah, they had another massive sell-off in uh, the end of March. So if you draw a line from there to there and just extend it, mm-hmm. then it's coming up. Uh, they're just about to come up, like as it's uh, almost like a resistance level at this point. Mm-hmm. So, and it's literally right at that two ATR level. So, I mean, if they can pop through that, I could see them going and hitting one twenty-seven for sure. Yeah, if they could just stay above that. Uh... Yeah, I'm actually looking at a downtrend line. If I draw a downtrend line from the high in mid-February of 159, let's kind of draw that trend line down. They just broke through that um, in this past week and got above that. And at the same time, they got above the 21. So, yeah, breaking that kind of a downtrend line and then breaking through the 21, oh, man, that would be great. They just yeah. hung out or popped off. Yeah, it looks like all good news from here. Yeah, man. Fingers are crossed. I can do another max profit on those guys. And, uh, yeah, they've been a pretty good ticker for me. So definitely going to put a trade on for uh, August. And with all the weakness and the the sell-off that kind of happened since mid-Feb, I'll probably put put spread on them again because it's just like, man, you guys took such a big hit from 159 all the way down to 100. That's such a huge sell-off that, like, I'm liking the put side for sure. Are they still, I know they kind of adjusted some prices on stuff. Are they still super heavily weighted towards Tesla? That's a good question. I know they had a pretty good percentage in there, but yeah, let me see. Cause I never really looked at it. I know you had mentioned it, but uh, I don't know if it was like a 10 or 20% or something. Oh, yeah, nine, maybe not, maybe about 10%. Maybe. Yeah. I'm seeing like a, if this is the percentage of Tesla, maybe 9.76% or something. Okay. And then everything else is like what? PayPal and, um, Teladoc. <laughs> yeah. Oh, zoom is in there. I didn't know zoom was oh, in there. Oh God. That's why, <laughs> that's why they've been dying. <laughs> Zoom's been freaking crashing. Shopify squares in there. Roku. Yeah. But Tesla is their biggest, yeah, their biggest holding at like almost 10%. So, if Musk can just do a good tweet this week, I'll be fine. Well, I mean, Twitter tweeted about uh, Bitcoin, and they just, they're running up at about 40 grand right now, so. <laughs> I better say something good this week. <laughs> all right, man. Did you have anything else you wanted to go over? No, I think uh, we covered it all. All right. All right. Thank you guys for listening. I'll catch you later, James. All right, man. Catch you later. Bye. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode of the WS Trades podcast. If you are not subscribed to this podcast, please subscribe. Also head over to YouTube and search for WS Trades. You'll find us there as well. We've got trading updates as we make our trades over there and also educational videos. You can learn about different strategies within the stock market and options trading. And also please head over to WSTrades.com. Thanks again.